Hi, I'm Kim Rickards, professional superglue and co-creator of Manifest. Manifest is a global platform with a vision to empower professionals of color to make connections and build intentional community to manifest careers, dreams, and goals. In this podcast, we will nurture, inspire, connect, and elevate our listeners through relevant stories and conversations. Now, let's Manifest. Joining Less Manifest today is Ashley Williams Esquire, a New York-based attorney for creatives and entrepreneurs. Ashley formed Unorthodox Legal after years of working at a boutique business law firm. Ashley has decided now to offer her knowledge and expertise to her community. And by doing so, I have the pleasure of speaking with her. And we're going to get into a bit of what Ashley is doing, her areas of expertise, and all the rest of it. But first, Ashley, welcome to Less Manifest. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be sharing my journey and so excited to be sharing a little bit about myself with your listeners. Absolutely. I'm excited that you're here because I think that where we are right now in this entire world, there are so many questions that creatives as well as entrepreneurs have. So having you join us for a few will help them not only know ways that they can protect their brands and things of that nature, but just help put their minds at ease. So before we get into that, though, we're going to play a quick game. And the game is called Finish the Sentence. Cool. So it's going to be quick. So just four, four things for you to finish. So the first one is I feel good when? When I empower brands and creatives legally. Cool. I don't like? Uh, pickles. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I have to think about that one. Yeah, yeah, pickles. pickles. <laughs> Nice. What about I want? I want to uh, empower a lot more creatives and entrepreneurs in the years to come and grow my law firm to be not only me, but a team of attorneys. Nice. And the last one is, I hope listeners will learn. Um, A little bit about unorthodox legal and what my law firm does. Cool. So while we are going to go further into a little bit about what your law firm does, I want to ask you, how are you? How are you feeling during this time? I am feeling uh, very motivated right now. But to be quite honest, uh, at the beginning, it was very difficult for me just to wrap my head around everything that's going on and get accustomed to the new norm. Um, I've told a lot of people that, you know, when this first happened, it was kind of surreal and I didn't really believe it. I remember listening and watching, you know, things unfold in China and saying to myself, um, is it ever going to get, you know, to that level here? So at the beginning, right. it was hard for me because it, it wasn't very unexpected. It was also something that I didn't really anticipate happening here in America. Um, so at that at, at first couple of weeks, it was hard. But uh, now I'm feeling a little bit motivated and I'm looking at, you know, having my health and being able to still, you know, employ my team, being able to still you know, empower creatives and so on as a blessing, even though I'm doing it from my home. So I'm still yeah. I'm feeling a lot more motivated than I was the first couple of weeks. So, you know, I went through a slump like I know a lot of people around me did, but now I'm trying to like get the wheels turning again and getting it 
back moving. So motivated yeah. right now, but it wasn't always like that, unfortunately. No, but I don't even think it's unfortunate. I think it's just <laughs> being real. Like, yeah. right now, I definitely am learning how to reconfigure things and how to, I would even say adjust because for me, I had always the option of working from home. So that wasn't much of a change really, but not having the ability to move as freely, um, that's been (laughs) a, a huge adjustment because, you know, I'm used to just being able to go whenever, you know, trips were planned and things had to get canceled. And I understand why they had to be canceled, but it was an adjustment. And so for me, I would say that I'm feeling a little overwhelmed right now. And part of the overwhelming feeling is because I feel like I can't turn my brain off. There's so many ideas, so many things that's coming to me. Like my sleep hasn't been as comforting as I would have expected it to be Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, no one's expecting you to be on 24 seven, but I haven't fully been resting because of the fact that I'm just thinking about all the things that I want to get done. It's like, oh, you know what I want to do? I want to do this. And I want to do that too. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I'm learning that I have to adjust to taking more time to actually slow down and not be in such a grind because, you know, living here in New York City, it's almost like the grind is just a part of you. It's not physically in your DNA, but it almost feels like it is because that's just what we know to do, Mm -hmm. you know? And now it's like, you need to calm down. You need to take take a break. Um, Everything is just changing. So I need to adjust. So yeah, feeling a little overwhelmed, but I know that I'll get through it. I'm going to adjust and it'll be great. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, it's understandable. And even um, just stemming from everything that's happening around us and then going on social media. And I know the narrative has recently been, well, you know, if you're not creating a new business or if you're not coming up with new ideas, or if you're not growing your business or something of that sort, that's, you know, moving forward, then what have you been doing during this time of quarantine? And it's like, you know, not, not everybody is like that. Not everybody's brain is wired that way. And also people are dealing with a lot of emotional issues, but I think it's also hard for us, you know, creators and entrepreneurs to always see that message being portrayed amongst our peers. We kind of feel like we always have to go. And sometimes, like you said, you have to just remind yourself that this can also be a time to just relax and, you know, self-reflect and take care of yourself. You don't have to be productive 24 seven. You don't. And I feel like that's pretty much where the shift in adjustment needs to happen to be just kinder to yourself and to understand that, you know what, you're experiencing something that's honestly traumatic. So as much as it may not have been, you have made, you may not have been, I should say, physically impacted, but everyone has been impacted in one way or the other. And it's quite traumatizing. So yeah, we have to just show kindness to ourselves and to others and, and just be okay with it. Right. Like that's the, that's the biggest part being okay with it. Um, My question for you though, is many people right now are redefining their priorities and they're seeking their true North. So as this adjustment happens, how do you find solace in your career choice? Um, you know, I think as the adjustment happens, I'm still finding solace in my career choice by just helping creatives and entrepreneurs. I mean, 
I am passionate about that. So getting my business owners, whether it be somebody that I've worked with for years, whether it be somebody who's coming to me with a new issue, just getting them to a point where their business is legally protected or they have they are resolving whatever issue they're going through still brings me solace. So although there's a lot going on, I'm just going back to my original passion of helping and of just being a resource to people. And I'm kind of just blocking out everything else that's going on and just still continuing on my true path of being a resource. So outside of it all, I'm still following, finding solace and just being that person that someone can call when they have an issue or explaining, you know, terms to individuals who did not uh, quite understand certain terms or just being there to tell them, here is how you can protect your brand and here is how we can leverage your brand and ensure that your brand is profitable in the future. So just like I said, being that kind of like shoulder to lean on to people legally is, is what is putting me through this and making me just find solace in what I do. It's like the legal homegirl for people yeah. who need <laughs> people who need that homegirl that can break it down legally. It's like, yep, just call Ashley and you she know, will be that person for that you. That's a great analogy. I didn't even think about it that way because what happens um, a lot of times with my clients are I'm not only the lawyer, I become like the lawyer, the business coach, the therapist. Like, you know, they mm-hmm. have business partners and I'm trying to say, okay, maybe you can try, you know, a different method with approaching your partners or approaching your employees. You know, just being, like you said, that legal homegirl that's there to guide your brand in every step of the way and it's also going to remind you hey you know you're bringing on that photographer let's make sure that you own all the rights to that that uh, image that you're taking you know you're bringing on this model let's have the model sign the release you're bringing on someone on your podcast let's make sure we're signing a release for the podcast you know I'm just always in your your, your back corner, like cheering you on and saying, yeah, you know, you can do it, you can do it, but let's not forget all the legal implications behind everything. So just being that, that go-to person, it, it brings me a bunch of joy. And throughout everything that's happening, I'm just still um, excited and passionate about being that individual for my brands that I work with. I love it. And I, I like that you touched on something that I was going to ask you about. And it's a nice segue. So go back and explain to us exactly what is brand protection and who needs it right now. So brand protection is essentially, um, and I don't want to use the same word as like protecting your brand, but it's it's just ensuring that your brand has all of the legal implications together. And sometimes with brand protection, it's not only legal. Sometimes it's tax implications. Sometimes it's regulatory implications that are not just like, you know, LLCs or corporations, but it's, are you following the specific laws? So protecting brand protection is just ensuring that every step of the way that your brand is going it is being protected. It is being safeguarded from all of those what ifs. And a lot of times, smaller brands don't think that they have the what ifs. A lot of times, smaller brands will say, I don't generate a lot of revenue. Um, My brand only has, you know, I'm the only owner of the brand. No one is really going to steal my content. They don't realize that in this day of age and social media, 
brands are worldwide. Whether you make a dollar or you make $5 million, you still need to protect your brand. You need to protect everything that you've been building for so long. And especially for longevity in that brand, you need to make sure that your brand is protected. Um, so that's kind of like yeah. a quick overview. So uh, at any point, every single individual who is building a business is also building a brand a business and a brand i use them interchangeably because essentially your brand is the identity of your business people go to your business because of the brand you've built because of the goodwill that you've built for that brand because of your marketing tactics because of the person behind the brand all of that goes into your brand and you want to make sure that all of that is protected so people will continuously, um, you know, recognize and kind of support your brand. So I think part of what I'm hearing is that as soon as you get the idea, you should be mm-hmm. literally you should start seeking out that legal protection because you just never know how viral your content is going to go. And as you are developing that and you're putting all this hard work into it, you don't want to get screwed in the process. <laughs> so it sounds to me that you're encouraging people to protect themselves at the onset of the business ideas. At the onset of your business idea, you need brand protection. You need to ensure that your um, your idea is safeguarded. So yes, totally. And I mean, People always, like I said before, they'll come to me and say, oh, well, you know, it's just an idea. But if you think about it, if you have an idea that is very, very unique and novel, you would be disheartened if someone stole it. You would be upset if you went to a business partner and all of a sudden your your person who you thought was going to be a business partner or an investor now takes that idea and uses it and releases it before you. And now you're like number two in line. So at the outset. I mean, as soon as you think of something, you need to start protecting your brand and you need to start ensuring that you're safeguarding all of your ideas because the law, unfortunately, does not protect your ideas. So if you go out and you, you have an idea and you're speaking to, you know, all of your friends and you don't use any brand protection tools such as a contract, all of your friends can take your idea and you have no legal recourse to go after them. So brand protection from the beginning. I mean, sometimes I, I, I'll tell people like, don't even speak to your family about it, which sounds kind of harsh, but it's like, don't even speak to your family about it before you have your brand protection tools, contracts in place issue it to them and say, hey, family, I have this great idea. Please sign this document before I tell you, and then I will tell you everything after you sign oh. it. <laughs> so it's it's almost like you should be having a signing party, a different kind of signing party, <laughs> where it's like, before I share this with you, let me make sure I'm protected and cover my ass. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of um, people that I tell that to, they're kind of hesitant because they're like, you know, how am I going to tell my friends to sign this? How am I going to tell my family members to sign this? And I get it. I completely understand. You don't have to, you know, have them sign it at the beginning. If you're telling them something very general, very broad, you know, I'm coming up with for example, I'm coming up with this ride share app and, you know, you know, touch the surface with it. You can do that 
and be okay. But once you start to get into the specifics, the the workings, your specific ideas on how the operations of whatever business um, slash brand that you're creating, you definitely need to have every individual that you're sharing it with sign documents to state that they, uh, you know, will keep that information confidential. So it's wow. kind of... Yeah, it's yeah. kind of hard it's, and it's difficult. And it's also not something that we are accustomed to doing, especially in, right. the, in the entrepreneur and creative um, community. A lot of people don't do it. But time and time again, you hear these situations where someone tells their friend or someone tells their cousin, for example, and their cousin has more funding, more backing, more experience than them and runs with their idea. And at that point, there's I can't go to court and say, well, I told them something on, you know, March 2nd, I mean, May 2nd, and um, they let, they ran with it. If there's no documentation, there's really no way for a court to really prove that you shared this confidential information with them. So just having those individuals sign these documents, it might become a little bit, um, uh, cumbersome to have all of these individuals sign, but having them sign will protect your idea and will protect your brand and, and will allow you to build your brand um, for longevity. Yeah. I'm like, we don't want any Facebook situations to happen. I'm just saying exactly. we, <laughs> we all use it or we, we have used it in the past, but let us not forget. We can't forget. Protect yourself is what I'm saying. <laughs> Protect yourself. yourself. It happens so many times. I mean, countless of stories I've heard. And, you know, they're, they're, they're like horror stories. And they're very difficult for the individual who's like the brainchild behind the brand to experience this, but the law unfortunately doesn't protect you and doesn't help you if you don't have these um, contracts signed. Yeah. So the the key here is, again, to be safe versus sorry is what I'm gathering. And, you know, so as we're talking about this, so a few things that you said, it is hard sometimes for people to do something that they're, they're, they're not really used to doing or that may come across as awkward at first. So, you know, it it is going to be weird to have a friend or a family member sign a document to cover yourself because that's probably not the way that you've ever engaged with them. But Mm -hmm. what are some of the challenges that brands may face during economic crises, right? So we know that it's important for you to protect your brand. So boom, the person has already done that part. They've been protecting their brand. But then after everyone signed everything and everything is legalized, what are some of the challenges? So, so now you're in a crisis and it's like, how am I making money? How am I, I would say, um, continuing to remain relevant? Because that's one of the huge things right now that people feel that they're not, if they're not producing a lot of content or if they're not doing something, they're not remaining relevant. Or if they're not reinventing ways to work, they're not going to get money. Like all these different ideas around how do I survive are, or I wouldn't even call them ideas, questions, right? Around how do I survive during this pandemic have been raised. So what do you think some of the challenges the brands are facing? I think um, a major challenge is funding and just sustaining their business. Um, What I've noticed what a lot of individuals, uh, well, everyone, no one expected for this to happen. 
a lot of small businesses did not have the the funds, you know, they didn't have the funds basically sitting down in some sort of reserve for all of these what ifs. So a major, major issue that a lot of small businesses, entrepreneurs, creatives are facing right now is due to the pandemic, how am I going to sustain my business model? How am I going to pay my office rent? How am I going to pay my employees? How am I going to fulfill all of these orders when, you know, I I want to self-quarantine and I probably can't get to the post office. How am I going to get new clients if I'm working as like a hairdresser or, you know, have a brick and mortar store when there is a statewide shutdown of all of the businesses? So I believe um, outside of the legal, just money and funding has been a major, major thing that most of my business owners are talking about um, and are facing right now. And unfortunately, with all of the laws that are coming out right now, they're very uncertain. So even with like the payroll protection, um, all of the loans and the grants, the grants are a little bit easier for people to attain because they are sometimes coming from specific companies and their rules and regulations are straightforward. But then as far as payroll protection, or am I even eligible for payroll protection, or am I even eligible for unemployment? There's a lot of gray area when it comes to that. And the banks are, are very, um, overwhelmed. And also, I don't think the banks actually 100% know which way to guide small businesses. And then there's a lot of lawyers such as myself who have tried and who have been keeping up with what is going on. But because the rules are very, very uh, ambiguous, it's difficult to kind of advise your clients in one way because you think, you know, it's going one way. And then all of a sudden you turn on the TV the next day and the entire fund has been exhausted. So I, I believe funding has literally been the major issue for a lot of businesses. Um, and then mm-hmm. apart and aside from that, It's also just fulfilling your contracts and getting out of your contractual obligations. Now, contracts before Corona did include acts of God, did include terms that said if there was a strike, a hurricane, an earthquake, you know, major acts of God, but they did not include what we consider now as a pandemic because the last pandemic that we had was the Spanish flu. So people of our generation did not expect for something of this magnitude to happen. So another issue that I'm seeing right now with the contracts are a ton of contracts did not anticipate the pandemic. A ton of contracts did not also explain what if, what are we going to do? For example, if the wedding venue is closed for the next year, how am I going to reschedule all of these people? What are the, you know, are the deposits refundable? Are the deposits non-refundable? Mm-hmm. There's a host of issues that we are now facing right now that weren't anticipated in some contracts. So that's another situation that I noticed where a lot of small businesses are now in a limbo because they don't know which way to go. They don't know um, 
you know, they don't really have a lot of guidance in how do I successfully get out of these contracts without having any legal ramifications afterwards. Um, and it's difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult because um, businesses of all sizes are being impacted. So, you know, as a, as a small business owner, you would love to refund all of your clients. You would love to refund, you know, anybody that you're working with, anybody who bought your product and so on. But is it something that is sustainable to your business model? Can you, do you even have the cash flow to refund these people or has those funds been allocated somewhere else already and are no longer existing within your business? So it's, you know, it kind of all boils down back to uh, money and funding during this time. That has just Mm -hmm. been a major, major um, issue for all small businesses and entrepreneurs and and larger businesses and corporations also. I mean, everyone's taking a hit at this point. For sure. And I know recently um, a few contracts that I actually signed or I was a part of contractual conversations. And mm-hmm. one thing that stood out to me was force majeure, where some people were totally unaware of it. And I wanted you to touch on this because I do know that it is a clause that a lot of event businesses were using so that they can get out of the contracts. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there were some parties that were like, look, whether or not the this this um pandemic has happened and it was not like an act of god like this this is all becoming a thing people were like i am not really going to release you i instead will offer you the ability to reschedule right so they're not trying to give you Mm -hmm. pretty much any type of money back or Mm -hmm. trying to cut ties you know yeah, cut ties is the way that I would look at it. They're not trying to let you out of the contract, mm-hmm. but they're trying to get you to reschedule. And that's causing a lot of people unrest because they're like, I don't want to reschedule something that I don't know when would be a good time to have. Because even if I were to push the event or push the, yeah, mostly for events, that's what I'll speak about. But yeah. if I were to push the event back a few months and this situation is still happening, I'm still going to be out of the money. I'm still going to be locked into this contract. So can you explain to the listeners exactly what force majeure is and if it is relevant to some businesses during this time? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the force majeure clause is um, what I said similar. It's the same clause that I was referring to as the acts acts of God clause. Um, So essentially that clause allows you to either a reschedule in the event of any acts of God, any unforeseen circumstance that comes around, it allows you to either reschedule within a certain time period, or it allows you to actually cancel the contracts and have all money refunded. Um, uh, and then there's sometimes where with the force majeure clause too, you can't, you don't get any money back if it's like a non-refundable deposit or so, stuff of that nature. So that clause is kind of the law of the land that if anything occurs, and I mean anything occurs that stops us from either having this this event or stops us from delivering the goods or for paying for the goods, that force majeure clause will say, okay, we are going to take into account what is happening and we are going to release both parties from their obligations in the contract. And 
either party cannot sue. Um, so it's a very good clause, and it's something that was used heavily in the event space, the event planning biz, uh, sector, but it was also heavily used in the delivery of goods. Because essentially, if you think about it, you are order- ordering goods and your goods are coming from China. The pandemic mm-hmm. has disallowed all of the goods to come from China. You cannot deliver it to your clients. Therefore, you can fall back on that force majeure clause and say, uh, Due to the pandemic, I'm able to deliver the goods. I'll refund you the money less the deposit or less whatever was agreed in the contract. So the force majeure clause has been um, a clause that I always have every single client put in there. Even like my makeup artists, even photographers, I have them put that force majeure clause in there because they say, imagine if there was an earthquake tomorrow and you were earthquake in your area, for example, and you were booked to go to California for an event because you were doing someone's makeup. Do you really anticipate that you are going to still get on a plane and go? No, that force majeure clause will allow you to cancel whatever that engagement is and not have any sort of you know legal ramifications afterwards. The good thing about, so the that's the great plus about the force majeure clause. The bad thing about the force majeure clause and the contracts that were executed uh before Corona, BC, as I call it, a lot yeah. of them, <laughs> yeah, BC, a lot of the contracts did not anticipate this. And although they had the force majeure clauses in there, they did not thoroughly think through what are the next steps after this force majeure occurrence. So for example, mm-hmm. as you're saying before, some people are saying, okay, you cannot reschedule, you cannot cancel the contracts, but you can reschedule. Did their contract actually say that if a force majeure occurrence happens, it's only rescheduling? Did it say how long you're able to reschedule for? I have a uh, family member who's in a situation like that today because Mm -hmm. of Corona, where an event space said, we don't want to cancel the contract. We understand what's happening. We're not going to cancel the contracts. We are going to give you the next four months to reschedule. So you have the four months to reschedule your event. After the four months, oh, yeah. then you are going to be charged. If you want your event outside of that four-month window, you're going to be charged an additional amount. So that's what I'm saying where the contracts included force majeure, but they did not thoroughly think what how are we going to deal with these force majeure events? So like if the pandemic happens, okay, how long do I have to reschedule? What is going to be given back to my clients? Or do my clients have the option of canceling? So like the force majeure clause are there, but I think now with Corona, it's allowing individuals to say, it's not just okay to have that clause. What is the aftermath and what are the protocols that are taken after one of these force majeure events happen? Yeah. And the reason why I jumped in was like, oh yeah, is because that's exactly <laughs> what mm-hmm. was it, what I experienced where a venue was basically like, you have 
X amount of months to reschedule. And what I thought was so interesting about it was that obviously no one wants to lose. However, the reality is that when you are in a pandemic, for example, you don't know what the timeline is. No one gave you the COVID-19 handbook where you were like, okay, in order for me to navigate this, I'm going to need X, Y, and Z. Like it just didn't happen. So I think even Mm -hmm. knowing that you know, everyone's trying to essentially protect themselves is also, I I would say, I think it's also imperative going forward that businesses and brands, entrepreneurs, everyone alike really learn how to protect themselves so that you have that peace of mind going yeah, forward, regardless absolutely. of what's happening. Because like I said before, some people are arguing back and they're saying COVID-19 is not an act of God. This is something that possibly could have been prevented. So now you have people that are going to try every way possible to mm-hmm. hold on to the coins that they've collected because they're like, look, we already spent that money or, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> we're not giving it back because we have staff to pay. So all these things considered, I think it's most important that everyone learns what their options are. And when they are moving in business forward, they know exactly what they stand to gain and what they stand to lose, but they more than anything are covered on, on all sides, I would say. Yeah. Covered, covered on all sides and also ensuring that your contracts are covering you, but also um, displaying and kind of communicating to your clients what your terms and conditions are because I'm feeling that a lot of contracts like I said before they didn't quite fully explain what the terms and conditions are of the engagement they they kind of glanced over it they had the force majeure clause but they didn't you know in your example they didn't tell you that you had the next three months to then reschedule or they didn't tell people that yeah you know the deposit is non-refundable and any other amounts that you pay might be non-refundable too so having that contract that clearly explains all of your terms is going to save you in the long run. And it's also going to save a lot of the client contention that I see have um, that a lot of small businesses are going through right now, because once the client knows from the outset, it is then their duty to either read the contracts and say yes, no, or accept it. And once they have accepted it, there's no room for, you know, arguing or contention because they know what the terms were. Exactly, exactly. And I think that that's important. So I know that you recently hosted a masterclass on brand protection. And as we begin to wrap up our conversation, I wanted to know if you could provide five practical tips for listeners today. And you've been giving a lot of gems already. So if there were five more, because we're greedy over here at Manifest, <laughs> we want it all. So if there's five more tips that you can provide, I think listeners would greatly appreciate that. Yes. So um, as far as brand protection, especially here uh, currently in Corona, um, I think one thing that you should definitely do as a emerging brand or even as an existed brand is to do a trademark search. Uh, more recently, I put out um, a decision. Well, I put out a little blurb from a decision from the Supreme Court that basically says, if you are using a trademark that is not owned by your brand. So you're using a trademark. You did not know that someone else you owned that trademark and you're using it to profit. You made any sort of profit with your brand. The court can 
order that trademark owner to take away your brand profits. So any profits that you made from using that trademark, it can be taken away from you, irrespective of the fact that you knew or you didn't know. So if, if you made a mistake, essentially, and you're using a brand name that's owned by someone else, they can sue you and they can take away your profit. So one thing that I think during this time of Corona, especially with a lot of emerging brands or a lot of people that are putting more emphasis on their brands is to go and do a trademark search. They are free online. Um, the website is the US Patent and Trademark Office.gov. Um, if you go on Google and you just put like USPTO, you can find the trademark um, search website and you can go in there and do a search. Uh, so that's awesome. so that's one of them. Um, another one is using the TM sign. Now, it's not 100% foolproof. It's not something that'll, you know, give you any sort of legal protection per se, but also sometimes perception is everything when it comes to social media or you know, the internet. So in the event that you found out your trademark is available, you are the only person that's using it. You haven't found any conflicting marks whatsoever, but you are not ready to take that step to file a trademark. You can go on Google and find that little TM sign and put it in the top right corner of your mark. And that'll give the public the um, knowledge that you hold this out as a trademark. So although you have not filed, you're telling the public, I deem this as a trademark. I am going to file in the future. Uh, I have not filed right now, but do not take it because I'm kind of claiming ownership beforehand. Like I said, it's not 100% um, foolproof. Someone can go and take a trademark and file a trademark the day after. But it kind of just, you know, wards people away for a little bit. So that's uh, number two. Number three um, is going and filing copyrights. So copyright protection is not for your brand name, but it's for whatever content you're creating. So during this time, I notice a lot of people are, you know, filming podcasts. They're creating ebooks, they're doing online courses, they're having, you know, webinars and stuff of that nature. Do you own the content that is there? If someone were to take your content tomorrow and repurpose it and put their name on it, what are your um what are your rights and remedies? Are you able to sue in court? The only way you're able to sue someone in court by taking that takes your content is through a copyright. So you can go and register copyrights online as well. Very, very straightforward process. And once you register it, you don't have to think about it anymore. They'll send you a registration in about four to five months after you do so. But once you do that, you can then go after individuals who are stealing your your content. And it's happened a lot. Um, a lot of my clients have had that happen where they've released eBooks and someone would literally just change like one word in the eBook and then market it out to their their clients and you know gain from someone else's content so 
copyrights definitely and you can interject anytime <laughs> i know it's a lot yeah no i'm just here literally shaking my head like yeah ah, people 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 but number four <laughs> so and then number four um is definitely your contracts i mean during this time you want to make sure you're going into all of your contracts that are existing and ensuring that they have the necessary wording that is going to cover you for a pandemic. Um, So they are going to speak, okay, if we are in a pandemic and I am quarantining, I want my clients to know that even though per se, the post office is open, I, as a business, will not be going out to ship any products. Or me, as a business, will not make house calls. Or me, as a business, will not do certain things because I am, um, you know, quarantining due to the pandemic. So definitely, and I mean, your contract doesn't have to be that specific, but your force majeure clause should include a pandemic, should include anything that's similar to a pandemic. And I've also started to put government shutdowns, statewide, local shutdowns, government shutdowns, because although you can argue that it's a pandemic, some people can still argue, well, certain businesses are open. So that government or statewide or local shutdown will allow you to still move and, you know, release all your obligations from the contracts if everything around you is shut down. So even if I can go up, yeah, you know, even if I can go to the post office, just off the strength that there is a local shutdown in my area, I am able to assert that force majeure clause to basically say, hey, yes, the post office is open, but because there is a shutdown and I'm not leaving during this shutdown, I'm not obligated to fulfill whatever the obligations are in the contract during this time. And also with the force majeure clause, I have gone back into a lot of my force majeure clauses and put in a time frame of how long the people have to declare it, quote unquote, a force majeure event. So for example, if the pandemic lasted two days, we don't want for individuals to run after, you know, day one and a half and try to cancel all their contracts. So what I've put in there is in the event something were to happen and it's continuing on for seven days, it's continuing on for 10 days, then both parties can walk away from the contracts. But we still want to promote active contracts and we still want to promote active businesses. So we don't want to ensure that, you know, as soon as something happens, then tomorrow everyone's canceling all their contracts. So that little um, time frame kind of gives us a cushion to wait it out for about a week and see what's happening. And then if it continues on for a longer period of time, then we start to look to how can we get out of these contracts. So that's number four, I believe number four. That's number four, yeah. <laughs> number five. <laughs> that's number four. And then number five, um, and I've just been preaching this even before Corona, I'm going to continue to preach after Corona, is create your business entities. I cannot stress how many times I've had people been in situations where they would have benefited from having a business entity. And when I say business entity, I mean either an LLC or a corporation. I mean, you need to have one of those available for your business and operate everything under your business. If tomorrow your business gets hit with a lawsuit, for example, 
your business uh, is infringing on someone else's trademark. You didn't know. They're now coming after you for all of the money you made, but you don't have an LLC or a corporation. Guess what happens? Your personal assets are now looped into everything. And it's not only the profits that you made from the business. It's also if you work a nine to five, that money is getting looped in. And if you have a house, the value of your house and the value of your car. And, you know, it's just bringing in all of your personal assets in the event something happens with your business. Never want to do that. You want to keep everything separate. You want to ensure that. If anything were to go wrong with your business and your business has zero dollars in the bank and you have a million dollars in your personal bank account, your personal bank account is never going to be affected by any of the things that are occurring with the business. So before Corona, after Corona, I mean, all the time I'm thinking I'm selling all entrepreneurs and creatives. And even if your business is not generating any money, you can form an LLC and never make a dollar. You will be okay. But just starting off on your business off on that way, or if your business is, um, you know, not just starting off, continuing your business on in that way is the best way to move forward. Yeah, I'm just like, people, listen, listen, listen. Separate your business from your personal today. You have today. to. Like, Don't you, wait. <laughs> have, you, you have to, you have to. And I mean, just I, I, essentially when I think about all of the major brands, all of, you know, the, the major, uh, so even celebrities, like celebrities, politicians, everyone does this because you do not want to have all your eggs in one basket. I mean, you do not want for that one basket to crumble and then it's like everything is gone. All your life savings, all your children's college fund, your house, your car, like you just don't want to do that. And there's a lot of times that even though your business is small, it still has liabilities. I, you know, I work with a lot of uh, event spaces and event planners, and they'll say, well, you know, I'm not going to do anything that's going to allow someone to sue me. And then I'll just come up with something outlandish. Like, well, what if we're at an event and, you know, a child is running and then runs into the wall and then fractures, you know, a part of their body. And then all of a sudden they're suing everyone that's associated with that event. They're going to sue the event space. They're going to sue the business. Uh, the, the, event planner. They're going to sue, you know, any sort of person who they think is liable for what has happened, you can face a lawsuit. So in the unlikely event that that does happen and you have an LLC or corporation, the only thing that that individual can touch are the assets that are in your LLC and your corporation. Also, this is like 5A. I mean, it's it's a little (laughs) piggy. It's like five plus, but it's piggybacking off of having your business Right now in Corona, um, a lot of the businesses and the business grants, the payroll protection plan, majority of the loans, they want to see that you have a functioning entity before you can get any sort of funding. You cannot go to them and say, I've been operating this business. Um, I don't have any any paperwork. I don't have any books and records. I haven't filed taxes. I mean, I've just been doing like, you know, something on social media that will not 
allow you or enable you to get any sort of government assistance. A majority of the grants also are not giving to individuals who don't have a business entity. So another reason why you need an entity, and especially now, you know, you need to make sure that you're sustaining your, your business. And the only way that you can do that right now currently is to have a business entity and file the applications, of course. But if you don't have that entity and if you cannot show them that you're a functioning business, then most of these grants and most of these loans will not offer you any sort of assistance whatsoever. Wow. Well, (laughs) this has been... I hope I didn't. I'm telling you, this has been (laughs) quite educational. I was sitting here writing tips down. Of course, you know, these are going to appear in the show notes, but because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm I'm feeling like after having this conversation, my hope for everyone listening is that they'd walk away with a better understanding of how to protect their brand yes. and, and themselves, right? With the tips that you've shared. But we just want to encourage overall wellness because a lot of people, like I said in the beginning, they've they're coming into a new territory and they're stressed. They don't know necessarily mm-hmm. how to combat this thing and exactly anxiety levels are at a thousand. So having the conversation with you, I'm hoping that listeners are feeling more at peace with understanding that they really can do these things. And it's not going to be anything that puts them in a place of inconvenience, but rather it's going to help them not have any kind of issues moving forward post COVID-19 because again, the pandemic is not going to last forever, but what we do now is going to affect how we move forward. So I am happy. I'm happy that you shared these. Yeah. Yeah, It it sets your brand up for longevity. And um, one thing that I do preach to my following, especially in social media, also my clients are, you can do a lot of things for your business legally on your own. You can form your own LLC. You can get your own EIN number. You can look at your own contracts. You know, you can Google. I mean, I always preach that Google is your best friend. You can Google contracts and kind of just compare and contrast. So during this time, I don't want anybody to ever feel like they cannot take the steps on their own. If they don't have um, a lawyer that they're working with, you can do some of these things on your own and still bring on a lawyer on the back end to just ensure that everything's okay. But for right now during Corona, because I just know there's a lot that's happening, you still want to make sure that you're legally protecting your brand and you can take these steps on your own and be okay. For sure. Don't, for sure. Don't feel overwhelmed. Do not feel overwhelmed. It's a lot. Yes. But there are a lot of free resources. There are a lot of outlets that you can go to. I always encourage people as well to send me messages. And if you have quick questions, I do answer them. So you have a lot of resources that are there to help. You do not want to go into this blindly. You just want to make want to make sure that, like Kim said, you're setting up your business for longevity. Absolutely. And again, this is why you are their legal homegirl. So everyone (laughs) definitely, (laughs) definitely follow Ashley on Instagram at unorthodox legal. Again, this is actually it's not unorthodox legal, it's on at unorthodox law, right? No, unorthodox legal. 
No, it's oh, I was right. Look at that. I was right. You were right. Me me for knowing people's (laughs) handles off the top of my head. But again, this will be in the show notes for everyone to share with their friends. And again, Ashley, thank you for joining us and providing so much valuable information. So much. You are absolutely welcome. And we are all going to be further, I would say, secured and protected after this conversation. So yeah, thank you. The legal homegirl in me is happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then mission accomplished. I know. I I think I'm going to actually start using that legal homegirl on my social media. Yes. Yes. It might be the trademark. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Manifest podcast. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Share this with your family. Share this with your friends. Share this with your colleagues. Just share this with your entire community. And until next time, let's manifest.